Wow. The choir has had a, an incredible ministry for us, and the fact that we've been treated to these songs all along, um, it, it just, it, it, I guess we failed to appreciate it until we hear it all together like this. It was fantastic. You've given that to us all year, and thank you for this mini-concert that reminds us of that. I appreciate the song that you chose here at the end, too, uh, Brian. This is a, a great song. Nice job. And thank you for being our choir director. Thanks a lot. Wow. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that there is an empty tomb today, and that we have no other ex good explanation for the claim that Jesus rose from the dead and the fact that his body was no longer able to be uh, found and that the tomb is empty. The fact of the resurrection today opens up a world of possibilities to which Jesus had already pointed. And in this particular passage in Luke, the 11th chapter, we are, we are looking at, right after the Lord's Prayer, an event that once again opens our eyes. He opens our eyes to a world that we could not possibly see, not even with micro or telescope. We're able to see so many things. We're able to see the, the galaxies beyond the Milky Way. We're able to, to see things that, that cannot be detected by the human eye through microscopes. We're able to see the, the splitting, now able to detect the Higgs particle, that impetus that makes things happen in the most microscopic world, and we're able to see things far in the distance, but never with microscopes or telescopes would we be able to see what Jesus reveals to us now and what the resurrection proved as a possibility. I'm going to read from Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 14. And I have a 45-minute sermon, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll trim it down here because the beauty of the choir and everything and the time available, I'll trim it down to just 35 minutes. Now, 25. I'm trying to negotiate. I don't want to do just a commercial here, you know. All right, Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been dumb spoke. The crowd was amazed. Follow this, right? But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. <laughs> Get this. This man is healed from a demonic possession that disabled him from speaking. The crowd's amazed. And then some want to attribute that to the prince of demons. And others says, well, that's not enough. You have to give us now a sign. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, all right, any kingdom divided itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, you will be your own judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he gives an analogy. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And then he explains some things that I'll try to get into about demonology. Now, this is going to take me more than one Sunday. So today I'm going to introduce it. First of all, Jesus makes clear there are moral and spiritual forces at work just as there are economic and physical forces. Economic forces, we understand inflation, depression, recession, prices, all of those things that affect our life. We're all fairly acquainted with this unseen thing called economics. I mean, nobody can see it, but we, we actually can feel it. We know the effects. We understand it. We comprehend it. It's a real force in which all of us must live. If you deny economic forces, quickly you will demise, you'll, you'll experience demise and you will experience massive debt, downfall. You have to live with economic forces. You understand physical forces. You can't see gravity, and yet every time you jump off of a high building, well, you know, don't do it without a parachute. You just don't do it, because while you cannot see gravity, you know that it exists, you believe in it, and you operate within the physical forces that are there. You operate within the physical forces of thermodynamics, heat and cold. You operate within the physical forces of gravity and friction and, and uh, magnetic pull. All of those things we're constantly dealing with, let alone wind and water, all the physical forces, you understand them. And yet, I would say, have you ever seen the wind? And you'd have to say, I have not. I've only seen the effects of the wind. There's all kinds of forces that you cannot detect with your naked eye, and yet you believe in them. Now Jesus opens up a world that is verified by the fact of the resurrection of spiritual and moral forces. And the physical forces do not explain why we have conflict in our world. Why you have had conflict this past week. It does not explain why there is conflict in the places where there ought to be peace. Economics cannot explain why there's conflict because you say, well, when people don't have enough money, they become angry and there's conflict. So explain to me why there's conflict among those who have plenty of money. Why is there conflict for those for whom economic forces always are a favorable win? Why is there breakup in family and so forth? Jesus opens our eyes to another force and he helps us understand what's going on. You see, the forces that cause conflict, according to the Bible, are threefold. None of these you can see. Jesus points to one of them. Conflicts arise because of three things. One, the world around us. Two, the flesh, that's what's within us, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible points to all three. First of all, there's a sin-filled world. Turn to 1 John chapter 2 so you can see the apostles 
referring to this and, and the inherent danger in uh, the sin-filled world. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John. 1 John is the small one way at the end of the book there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and, and does, comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. In James, he points to, to the same thing, and he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from... Uh, those, excuse me, verse, verse 4. I, I said verse 1, but it should say verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know your friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Now this is not the world of beauty that we're going to enjoy this afternoon. This is not nature and water and the, the things that make life beautiful. This is the, the desires that have gone awry, that have skewed us. These are the 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 ideas that we have that we are so self-sufficient that we don't need God because look at all that we've achieved. That is the sinful world and the sinful world affords opportunity for conflict. Conflict with God through sin, conflict with other people. The world, the sinful world, gives opportunity for them to arise. Now there's a th second one, and that is the flesh, or the sin-prone human nature. The sin-prone human nature. Now I'm in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Why do you have conflict? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, you don't get it. You kill, covet, you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight, all of those things you do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. In other words, there's something within us that is prone toward making choices that create conflict with other people, conflict against God. Their choices were prone toward sin, to doing exactly what God does not want us to do. Now, these two things we could explain sociologically and psychologically. And you could say, well, sociologically, the reason that there's conflict is because people are in situations in which they are deprived and they are oppressed. And of course, it, you know, and it's, it's the world that does it to them. And then we could look at, then we'd have to look and say, ah, but there's more. There's a psychological side. Within us, we have this desire to have what somebody else has, and we want to take it from them, and we're willing to sacrifice things that we believe in in order to get what we want. And so psychologically, there's these desires that can only be explained by this, what we call sin in the Bible. And these things can explain, but you know the fundamental question is not how does it work, why does one thing cause another, and so forth. But the fundamental question in anything, in anything, is why does something exist rather than not? 
When we deal with the world, we can turn to science and explain how things work and so forth, but the fundamental question that scientists have to ask, and this is what caused scientists to turn back to God, is why is there something rather than nothing? And we must ask ourselves, why when we have so many blessings in life, do we have conflict with one another, conflict with God? Why do we choose sin? Why do we do that? Why is there something called conflict rather than peace? Why is there something rather than nothing? And Jesus then says, well, there is someone who wants to make sure that you have conflict. And that's the devil. The sin-inspiring devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 warns us and he tells us he gives us this warning he says be be careful be on guard because your enemy the devil prowls around seeking whom he may devour and here's one who takes the opportunities in the world matches it up with your weakest link your propensity to sin in a certain way and makes sure that the two meet and makes inspire sin and the reason that there's conflict in the world is the, the conflict within our lives is there's the world of opportunity, the propensity to sin, and this engineer that's in the world. Well, how did he get in that position? This is the biblical story. We came into a world that was not sinful. It was pristine, morally pristine. And we had, we had no sin within us but we have this. God created us with the ability to choose. And yes, there was the tempter, but the tempter couldn't force anything. And then if it wasn't Eve, if it wasn't Adam, it would have been you and it would have been me. Each one of us made the choice to say, God, I know what you said, but I'm going to do it my way. I am going to turn from your way and the Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Every one of us made that choice. We contributed to the problem that already existed, like the national debt. We all contributed to it. And every time we made that choice to turn away from God, we gave that piece of ground, you might say, that claim in this world, we gave it to the devil. Because, you see, none of our choices, none of our choices are neutral. Our moral choices are never neutral. They are aligned with a spiritual force that is either holy or unholy. Every time you make a moral choice, you are aligning yourself. And we have given up ground, and over time, there came idolatry, there came choices of immorality and lust and so forth. And all of these we have participated in, even if we're not guilty of somebody else's sin, we're guilty of our own. And we gave up ground to the devil, and by the time Jesus came, the devil could rightly say to Jesus, all that you see, look, I'm taking you up to the highest point, you see all the world, all the nations, all of that is mine in all you have to do is bow down and I can give it to you. And if it were not true, Jesus would have rebuked him and said, they're not yours. But he didn't. Because piece by piece, we had given 
this world and our lives to the devil. We need some help. And next week, I'm going to tell you what that help is. You're going to have to come back. <laughs> because it's time. Next week, we're going to go to the same passage, and I want to tell you of how Jesus has come to rescue us. It's going to be a thriller. You come back next week. Would you stand with me? And Father, we... We know it. We didn't have to even have be told. We, we didn't hardly need a scripture. But there's one who is an enemy of our soul. And today, Father, we have given far too much ground. And we want, we want to end that. We want to turn to you. We already know what the answer is. And it's not too early to turn to you. I pray, Father, that we would. I pray, Father, that we'd reaffirm what we believe because it's the foundation of this solution, this rescue plan. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. On any Sunday, these altars are open, even if the preacher didn't finish his message. You come if you'd like to pray about it. You're tired of the conflict. You're tired of giving ground to the devil. You come. And there's a solution. There's a rescue plan that's already underway that has already been initiated and it can include you come as we sing the song we sang earlier
He's coming back again. Oh, we believe. We believe. Amen. Pastor Rowland, neither one of us are singers, but were we blessed by the choir today? Man, that was fantastic. Those songs that they sang. Thank you, choir. <laughs> Lots happening. Well, what's happening is we have some great singers, and we've seen some of those, but now we're looking for some great softball players. That's right. Yeah. Have you seen any? Yeah. I, I'm retired. Did you see the guy on the team? I did. Yeah. He looked very he, familiar. Yeah. He's very retired. Uh, and, and it happened some time ago when they couldn't find enough Advil after a game to take care of things. And so, but when is the deadline? Deadline is today. So if you're interested, yeah. um, there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby at the Welcome Center, so you can sign up there. Um, but that's also just one of the things that's a deadline. There's another deadline today, though, too. That's right. The marriage enrichment retreat. Today we need to know. Uh, we have to turn in our number. So if you are prone to sign up for the marriage enrichment, it is a great weekend. You owe it to you to yourself, uh, sign up at the registration table today. Well, we're going to go. It's a beautiful day. Let's go. And let's make a difference in someone's earthly and eternal life. Amen. <laughs> 